welcome back. This is Rick Anderson, Managing Director at PTB Healthcare Capital, and welcome back to Top Talks, our podcast series. We're on the ground here at Avamed, so you'll hear a little noise in the background because it's busy and a lot of things happening in the medical device business. And we're joined today by a close friend and colleague, uh, Susan Morano, that runs uh, business development for the medical device and diagnostics business of Johnson & Johnson. Susan, welcome. Thanks for inviting me, Rick. You're welcome. Susan, um, just for our audience, um, it'd be great if you wouldn't mind to just sort of introduce yourself and sort of talk about you know where you came from. It, I think it'd be helpful for the audience just to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So again, I've, uh, Susan Moran, I'm responsible for business development at Johnson & Johnson. I've been with J&J for 29 years. I used to tell people I started in high school. At this point, it doesn't really matter. Um, I started in finance. I was a college recruit, and I worked in consumer, farm, and medical devices. I've been in medical devices for about 20 years and business development for 17. And Susan, because I had the beauty of working with you for a long time, and one of the things of your hallmark of your brand is that you're you're at the tip of the spear, sort of talking to small companies. And you know, one of the questions that I know that we get all the time is, you know, what's a company the size of Johnson Johnson think about the markets today? And I, I if we could start there, I'd love to just get your view of like, um, with all the changes that are happening in healthcare and specifically happening in, our, in the medical device industry. It'd be interesting just to get you to talk out loud a little bit about what you think about all the changes that are happening and what that necessarily means to our ecosystem. Sure, so uh, I would start by saying I'm fortunate enough to have been in the markets when they were great, in businesses that were growing double digits, and, and it was a, actually a great time to be in the business. When you look back, though, in hindsight, you know, there, there wasn't really an economic story with what was going on. And when you look at where we are today, I think the biggest change that has happened is it's much more about value. And, and one of the things that drives me crazy when people talk about value is they automatically jump to cost. But I really do think it is value. It, and when I talk about value, I talk about genuine unmet needs, getting a better clinical outcome and or taking cost out of the system. So when I first started doing business development, you would walk into a room or a diligence room, and honestly, it was full of marketing people and R&D people. And it was all about the technology and the market. I walk in today, I've got people looking at the healthcare economics. It's about compliance. It is a very different world. Um, And I think in general, MedTech has been a little slow to adjust to the new world. We still want to build the new widget and and get a price premium for it and and keep living the, the great times. It is different. But, you know, when you go back to fundamental, genuine, unmet needs and creating value in the system, innovation is the lever. So when I look at it, I'm optimistic. I mean, I think we have to reset what we go after, and we have to focus on the things that matter. Uh, you know, one of my pet peeves a number of years ago, and it probably started actually with drug-eluting stents, there was so much money going into drug-eluting stents, we didn't need 10 companies doing drug-eluting stents. When you look at renal denervation, our diligence list, we had 62 companies right. working on things in that space. Um, and I think people are just chasing easy money, but if you go after the real needs and always keep value in the back of your mind, uh, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and I think entrepreneurs and innovation, that is the lever we have that can solve all problems. Susan, that's, first of all, that's terrific and we totally are aligned with that. Can we take some of that apart? Just sure. get a little more perspective about it. This, the concept of value, a lot of people talk about it, more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're talking to small companies and they're sort of pitching their value proposition, what do you or, or the value that they think they can create in the system. Mm-hmm. And some of that that we see is really not that good, truthfully. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I'm, I'm really interested for our audience. Talk about when you, the things that you see that you that get your attention. What is it when you meet with a small company or you meet with an entrepreneur who may have a great idea? Um, is there a standard checklist that you look for that sort of checks off the value thing, or is it more that you believe you believe the story will create value in the future? Give us some, give our audience some perspective. About so that. I don't have any checklists, and anybody that knows me knows that I don't have any checklists. Probably somebody in my office has one. Um, <laughs> But I would say again, I try to focus on what is the problem you're trying to solve. If there isn't really a problem, there is no value story there. And a lot of people come in and they've got a better widget. And they haven't really looked at the overall market and the problem they're trying to solve. And, and again, if you were in this space in the 90s, it was all about the physicians. It's not about the physicians right. anymore. Um, and you really do have to look at, are you making outcomes better? Are you, again, taking costs somehow, somewhere out of the system? Are you meeting the needs of one of your multiple stakeholders? And again, they're different. You've got payers, you've got providers, you've got patients. And by the way, now we have to worry more about patients right. because patient satisfaction is a big criteria and, and readmission. Um, so you just, I'm constantly looking for somebody really looking to solve a problem that needs to be solved, first and foremost. Because if you are, we can figure the rest of it out. Right. Susan is a market leader. Um, some of the things we've heard at this meeting about this intersection, uh, Dr. Topol's talk, mm -hmm. uh, this intersection of like where technology meets medical device and diagnostics and the, everything that's going on in genomics. It's an exciting time. Are you an optimist? Or are you pessimistic about what, what's your personal view about the future of what's happening in med tech? Optimistic or pessimistic? So I'm optimistic. I, I think I'm generally an optimist, um, just fundamentally in the way I look at things. So I'm optimistic because, again, when you look at what is happening in healthcare and you look at demographics, there's a lot of problems out there to be solved. We've got some of the best and brightest people working in med tech. They're going to figure it out. And then when you take the people that are now starting to look at med tech, when you look at the IT companies and you look at the, you know, like the Googles, we have a relationship with Google, they think about things very differently. And if we all partner and, and really look at what are the strengths the different parties bring to the table and how do you think differently, I just think fundamentally we're going to change things. We're going to change the trajectory. We're going to solve more problems. But we have to because we're going to bankrupt governments if we don't. Um, we just can't afford to... to treat people the way we're treating them today. Susan, we've ordered the country music just yes, because this you. is a Texas thing for thank us, you. so a part of our podcast. I was in Nashville over the weekend, so I'm now attuned to you. There you go. Well, listen, I, the, the, your comment there, I, I want to ask you about the partnership thing, because Johnson & Johnson has been really a, a leader in the field. I, I, we, re, we recently saw your announcement with Google. We've seen your announcement with IBM Watson, and we think that's incredible when you sort of put those sort of power brokers working against a big problem. Do, what do you think about sort of partnerships today to sort of, you know, is it, are they going to be product partnerships? Are they going to be concept partnerships? What, what, what do you think the future is sort of the, is it going to be big guy and big guy? Is it going to be big guy and little guys? What's this, what, what's your view on that? I think you're going to see all of it. And I think, uh, um, you know, we're just going to have to pilot some of the different things. And you, the thing that I fundamentally learned is you need to have complementary capabilities. So sitting in my jobs, I can't tell you how many consultants have come in and said, Johnson & Johnson needs to do a Star Alliance. And they bring in this partnership where fundamentally we're competing with the other side. 
and it's tough to really find common ground to solve a problem to move things forward. So if you look at Google, um, we understand surgery, we understand med tech, we understand the regulatory process. We don't really understand robotics, genuine robotics. We don't understand big data. We don't understand machine learning. It's a very complementary relationship. It happens to be big company, big company, but it can happen big company university. It can happen big company, small company. If you find that you've got a common goal and you really do bring complementary things to the table, I think you're going to see a lot of different things. And we're piloting across the board to try to figure out what works. We're going to make some mistakes, um, but hopefully we'll have more successes than mistakes. Yeah, Susan, that's terrific. I look, we, we agree with that in terms of sort of we got we we have to change our sort of inside baseball sort of view of the world mm-hmm. and we we're we're optimistic about new players coming into the marketplace that bring different kit and complementary skills mm-hmm. and capabilities and um, in that environment is J&J a buyer or a seller in that market because you've been doing both you've right. been buying and selling so and, and I would say we are both Um, We are taking a much more rigorous approach to portfolio optimization. We call it our portfolio management. And we're trying to pick what are the markets we want to play in, and then how do we think we can compete in those markets. And if you look at the businesses we have today, um, you know, drug business is probably the best example of this because it, it defied logic when we first did it. We had come up with this tool and really looked at what did we think was important from a market perspective and then what did we think was important from our perspective. And we plotted out all of our major platforms in our business and it was... Um, during the time we were developing the Nevo Stent, and I would say most people think that that was a failed acquisition and that was not a great technology. I still believe today, had we launched that product, it would have been the best stent on the market. I agree with that, too. Yes. But, I mean, genuinely, we believe that. Um, it had nothing to do with the product or technology. And when we plotted out everything that we were looking at, and again, it's a mathematic tool and it right. does not answer all of your questions. Um, but the first time I sat down and looked at the tool, you've got like the upper right-hand box or like the places where you're going to drive growth. Lower right are kind of like you want to sustain your leadership position. Those are the things that really fuel the rest of the business. Upper left are great markets, but we are not probably in the position that we want to be. So you have to make some decisions there. And lower left are really the businesses where they're not great markets and you're not doing right. as well as you should be. Um, and drug-eluting stents ended up in the lower left. And I have to tell you, when I first looked at it, I thought the tool didn't work. And we went back and looked at all the mathematics, and we came out and we... And it's a relative tool I probably should have qualified, too. So it takes our whole portfolio versus everything else in the portfolio. And it just so happened in some of our competitors' portfolios, drug-eluting stents were this lower-right sustained leadership. They were these great businesses that drove a lot of growth for us when you looked at the investments we were going to have to make to get it over into the lower-right category where... Our competitors were playing. It was a better opportunity for us to invest in our orthopedics business or our energy business, and it was a very uh, interesting learning for us. And we go through it once a year, and we look at all of our businesses. And again, it's anything on the left. You could be upper left, lower left. And if we're not the leader, and we don't think we're going to be the leader or a leader, do we think that business could be better off in someone else's hands? Right. And then do we think we could take that capital and invest it somewhere else, either in the businesses that we've got or in new markets or new spaces or new uh, companies where we think we could move them up into the upper right? The goal is to kind of switch out the portfolio, move everything from the left to the right because you want to be a leader. 
um, and then pick the right markets and, and optimize what you're doing. So in there, the things that end up on the left side, whether they're great markets and we're not doing as well, or they're challenge markets and we're not doing as well, we're going to look at, can someone else do better? So you look at something like Cordis. Um, that is a great business. That personally for me, having worked with you there, having spent eight years of my career there and probably my favorite eight, it was a very difficult decision. Complex, difficult business. Absolutely. But when you look at that business and you look at Cardinal, it is a star in Cardinal's portfolio. It is going to get the investment. It is going to get the talent. Um, it, they are so excited to have that business. And for us, it was always competing against all of these other businesses and just not getting the resources to kind of make it shine like I personally believe it deserves to shine. Susan, that's awesome perspective for entrepreneurs about the decision-making, sort of mm -hmm. the inside of what actually happens in the real world in a big company. If you could give guidance, if you could give guidance to an entrepreneur, right, because they come to us, they come to you, and they, they may have a killer idea. Um, it may be in a growing market and a not growing market. You know, one of the questions I always get, they ask me is like, Rick, does a Johnson & Johnson buy growing markets or do they buy the best widget, the best technology? And I say both, they buy both, mm -hmm. depends. But what advice would you give to an entrepreneur who's engaged with any strategic? You've been doing this, you have friends across the industry, your colleagues across where we're all looked at deals together. What, do you, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur about when you engage with sort of, it, the, the, now the company, big company's interested in your company mm -hmm. for whatever reason, market, technology, whatever. Any advice you'd give to an entrepreneur is for that first engagement, that first, that first interaction with you as a company, as, as a big company. So I would say, you know, I have two pieces of advice, and I'm going to start before you know we're interested. There's always three questions I have to answer when I bring a transaction forward. And it, again, very simple. Why this space? So why am I looking at cardiovascular disease, or why am I looking at um, ENT, or why am I looking at whatever? You have to be able to talk about why that space is interesting and exciting. Why this asset? Why this company versus anything else? And the last question, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about when they come to talk to us, but it's how does Johnson & Johnson add value? Right. And when I ask that to companies, most of them come back and say, you have money. If all I bring to the table is money, I'm probably not your right partner. So you want to look at something about what we do. There's a capability that we have. There's technology that we have. It's complementary to a business that we have. There's something that, that will let us believe in our hands it's worth more than it is on its own or it's more than it is in somebody else's hands and because that those are the questions I have to ask and then I would say when you're coming in to talk to us um, we're not necessarily known for fast decision making particularly uh, in spaces we don't know very well and, and I know it, it can be a bit of a, a challenge but building those relationships and coming in early so that you're on someone's radar screen I always tease the banks and and you know, a lot of them actually do this. They'll give me a heads up a couple of weeks beforehand to say this is coming down the pike because me being able to say something's coming and plan for it, I can meet any timeline. If it comes out of left field, it's a little more challenging. Right, right. And if I know the company, I can do it. But there could be this great company I've never seen that, my God, I would love. But for me to be able to make a timeline, particularly if there's a bank involved, I can't always guarantee I can do it. And I can tell you you're not going to get the best price from me because the risk profile is much higher because I don't know it. Right. So right. coming in, building relationships, providing updates on, on major milestones, it just helps and it really helps us move faster 
and again, it creates less risk for us. So at least in theory, we're willing to pay more if there's less risk. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. And Susan, I've seen you do that with small companies where you've had your team or you personally have sort of met with CEOs and it may not be the right timing, mm-hmm. but a market we were interested in or you were interested in or your teams were interested in where you've you've done that, you sort of tended to the garden mm-hmm. for a while, right? And so when, it, when the time came right, it wasn't the first interaction we had with the company. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think we tell our CEOs, and entrepreneurs we interact with, it's like, look, if you're in the natural sort of ecosystem that a big company's interested in, we don't want to be the, they don't want to be the last call. Right. They want to be one of the first calls to sort of get involved with them. And Susan, I, I think that advice and counsel you just gave to entrepreneurs is really powerful, and we appreciate that. Susan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.